You're listening to the Revenue Playbook. Join top sales reps and leaders as they share exactly what it takes to go from cold to close. Anthony, welcome to the Revenue Playbook. Uh, last we talked, you spilled like all your secrets on how you're able to uh, meet quota or exceed quota uh, and still have a life, right? And uh, avoid the hustle culture, right? And so that's what I'm planning on talking about again. He had some really good insights and I wanted to, to bring it to the world and uh, share your secrets, which hopefully you're okay with. So uh, everybody, this is uh, Anthony Natoli and hopefully I got that right. We talked about it ahead of time. Uh, and uh, he's here to, to walk through kind of like his daily routine and like how he's able to um, exceed, like uh, exceed quota and like be a high performer at outreach um, while still having like that work-life balance, which is really hard to do as a salesperson. So Anthony, to kick it off, like what, what separates uh, top performers? Like as you've like grown, like in the role and seen other reps, like what are the key things that set top performers apart? Yeah. Uh, so pumped to be here again with you uh, chatting about this. So I think something I learned about what makes a top performer and what doesn't is probably based on my own experience, to be honest. Like I used to just wing it. Um, I was like, all right, I got a prospect. I'll just prospect today or um, I need to get on these calls. And I didn't have like a system in place to really identify where I should be spending my time, why I was doing the things that I was doing. Like there was no intentionality behind it. So I think the, the top performers as sales professionals um, understand, number one, the importance of having a fulfilled life outside of work, but also when they step into that version of themselves that are showing up to work, they have a very dialed in process in which they follow for everything that they do. And so uh, those folks are prepping the day before for the, for the next day. Um, they have intention behind each task that they're doing. There's a, uh, a systematized approach to the time that they spend on certain things. Um, and they're hyper-focused. So they're not doing a lot of different things. They're doing certain tasks really well, and they're focused on a few things at a time, maybe that uh, compared to just doing a bunch of little things. Uh, and usually that has a bigger impact. It's like the 80-20 rule um, that I used to struggle with, and I'm trying to do a better job of uh, integrating into kind of my current workflows. Yeah. I mean, when I talked to, to Nick from like 30 minutes to president's club about a similar topic, uh, he mentioned what you just said, like the batching idea, right. Where doing uh, tasks, like in, in batches, right. Where you're doing more of them instead of just like one of this task, like one admin task. And then now you're switching back to prospecting. Now you're taking a call, you know, and that context switching, like, uh, there's a lot, uh, a lot that you lose, like, uh, in the cracks, like of just, of just switching, like between that and switching mentally and like physically switching to different tools. And so, uh, any thoughts like on that specifically on like, maybe talk more about batching and how you batch your day. Yeah, absolutely. So I think previously, you know, I'd be working on a proposal and then, um, I would get like a Slack or I, something pop in my head of like, Hey, I got to respond to this email or I, I get an email from someone and I got to respond or I've got to send something out or I've got to update Salesforce. And I was struggling to really focus on that proposal or putting a deck together. 
and I would get sidetracked. And so that really that 20 minute task would take me two hours because I was just doing a bunch of different things. And so what I've started to do was block off time on my calendar um, and focus on one given task for 30 minutes and then give myself like five minutes. Because what I've found is, you know, me personally, I can't really focus for more than 30 minutes on any one given thing. And so if I have it on my calendar that, hey, this is a proposal for XYZ company for that 30 minute block, that's all I'm doing. Um, and, you know, that, that next calendar event might be another revenue generated activity where I'm building a deck for presentation that is maybe in two hours. So it's, it's hyper-focused on one specific task, but they are dialed in on my calendar so that I know exactly what task is next. Because before that, I was winging it. Like I said, I was guessing. I was like, okay, I did that. Now I'm going to jump to LinkedIn or I'm going to jump to my email or I'm going to update my notes in Salesforce or I'm going to just, there was just a lot, there's a lot of stuff as a sales professional that can be thrown at you. And so to be able to dial in um, what's most important and have that on your calendar creates a, a system that is easily followed. Um, you're, it's, it's, it's easily allow, allows you to, yourself to follow it um, and stick to it. Um, so you don't get distracted because I think that's the, the biggest hurdle uh, a lot of reps face is getting distracted. Yeah, no, it's a, so tell me like about that, that hierarchy. Cause you told me about, you literally said like, I think revenue activities, right. Revenue generating activities, uh, versus everything else. So what are those activities? Like, what do you consider like the cream of the crop? Where do you kind of start, um, your day? And then how do you kind of like whittle it down to the least important? Yeah. When I think of revenue generating activities, it's two buckets. It's building new pipeline and progressing pipeline forward. But within those buckets, it's not building pipeline with a ton of accounts. It's who are my big bets that I've identified that I'm laser focused on for that hour when I'm prospecting. So I've identified, these are the three accounts that I'm going after. And I'm not just making calls to make them, like I have intention behind it. And then the second piece is progressing deals forward. So I'm not worried about deals that I know are going to close in Q3 and Q4. What are my top three deals for this quarter? If I can just do one, if I can move one rock within those, within those accounts a day, that's going to allow me to move those deals forward. Instead of focusing on all 10 of my deals, I'm just focused on the top three that are in front of me right now. Not to say that I don't focus on the other ones too, but if I think about hyper-focusing on specific revenue generating activities, I need to have intention into the who and the why I'm executing on those tasks. So kind of to sum it up, when I'm prospecting, I'm very intentional on who I'm reaching out to and why I'm reaching out to them. And then when I'm moving deals forward, I'm looking at my top big bets. And the one thing, only one thing per day within each of those accounts that I know is going to move the chains. Because I know if I try to do a bunch of little things, it's not going to really move the needle. But if I can just focus on one thing a day, whatever that is, um, I know it will, it will be effective. Nice. Okay. So if I'm to break that down and you just, I know you just threw, threw out these numbers as examples, but I'm curious if they're accurate. So like, let's say 10, 10 deals total, and you're looking at like three, three of the 10. So would you say that like 
30%, uh, like focusing on like that 30% of your deals is like generally what you do? Um, or is it a different number? Yeah, I would say that I'm focusing probably like 80% of that time on those three deals. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it it goes back to your, like, you know, goes back to the 80, 20 rule, right? (laughs) It's, it's basically close to like 80, 20, right? Like you're spending like the majority uh, of effort, like on like that 20% or that 30%. So that's like your, your daily routine. Um, What about like admin work, all of that? When does that get done? Yeah. So admin work, um, in terms of like updating Salesforce, I have to block out time to forecast, um, my deals. I have a a pipeline one-on-one like most reps do. And so that I'll probably do like an hour, um, an hour the day of my pipeline one-on-one is where I like kind of identify, um, what deals I need to update, things like that. And that does take a bit of time when I go back and listen, you know, listen to calls, go through emails and really figure out where's the deal at, what do we need to do to move it forward? Um, emails that's oftentimes like I'll do those in the morning, um, responding to emails. Um, and then if there's any like white space in my calendar, I try to fill it up with, Hey, like what calls do I have coming up? What, what do I need to prep for? Um, but I think it all goes back to like at the end of the day of like literally at the end of a particular day, I want to make sure that I understand tomorrow. Um, so like, what does my Friday look like and understand what needs to be done if it's not already done for that day. So it's kind of like uh, the white space that I don't, I'm not on calls with people is when I'm kind of either updating notes Salesforce putting together decks, but I know what I'm doing in that white space from the day before. So the tasks are already filled for that day. It's just, I'm, I'm prepping for it the day before. And that usually takes me an hour. Nice. And when you mean prepping for it, um, and those spaces are already filled, are they literally filled in on your calendar or how, how are you penciling that in? Yeah. I literally put it on my calendar. I think a lot of, uh, some people have like to-do lists through different apps, but I put it on my calendar because I like live and die by it. So yeah, I literally today had put together pricing for XYZ company. And then I had put together initial meeting slides for this company uh, because I didn't have anything in that time. It was white space. So why not fill it up with very specific tasks that I can give 25 minutes to? And that allows me to just hyper-focus on that one thing. And it makes me feel a lot better because I've accomplished it. I'm not putting together a deck and also putting together pricing and on LinkedIn and on Slack. It just allows me to be hyper-focused on that one thing. Nice. Um, And then to get more specific into this, do you do things in like 15 minute increments, like 30 minute increments in terms of your calendar blocking? Do you have a like color coding system? Like tell me more about your calendar. Yeah. So for me, the tasks are like 25 to 30 minutes. It goes back to just me not being able to like really, if I go beyond 30 minutes, that's when like my brain kicks in and is like, I need to like get up and do something. Um, so I get distracted more easily. So if I just dial it in for 30 minutes, I'm, I'm confident that I'll get it done. And if I give myself 30 minutes, like that's the, the time limit, like, cause the next task has to get done. So it forces me to be focused, um, and to get that task done. Um, 
And I, I don't have like a particular color coding system, but all of my uh, customer facing and revenue gener generating activities are green. And then any tasks that I'm doing are red, meaning like don't bother me type of deal. Um, and, and then internal calls like are the grape color um, on, on GCAL. So that's kind of, that's kind of it. And then I honestly, I also block out like my Peloton rides. So sometimes I'll be in the morning, sometimes I'll be at lunch, but I'm really lucky to work at a company where they're like very encouraging that you make time for yourself. So I literally put everything on my calendar um, and it's public so people can see it. Um, and if you don't do that, then people don't know like what you're doing. So whether it's like a, a to-do to list or putting it on your calendar, it's really critical. Like I'll even put on my calendar at night sometimes for events like that, like I'm going to dinner or something like that, just so I know. Um, it, it, it helps keep the discipline. You know, I try to have every minute of the day like planned. Because if I don't, for me personally, that's when I find myself maybe like snacking or just like watching TV or aimlessly scrolling. So it's important for me specifically um, to have the minutes in the day planned out. And of course, there's always going to be time where I need to take a step back and like chill. And obviously that, that always happens. So. Yeah. The accountability part of it, right? Like where, you know, that you have things to do, you can see that, uh, you give yourself a, a small amount of time to do it and then it gets done. Um, sort of a thing where if you don't give yourself responsibilities, then you're off the hook. 100%. It keeps you, it keeps you 100% honest. Like if you have something on your calendar and you have a system in place, um, if you find yourself like scrolling, you're like, no, this is not the task that I was supposed to do. And then you have to have a very honest conversation with yourself. Did I do the task or did I just waste 30 minutes scrolling? And if you do that enough times, you realize like, hmm, maybe I need to like reevaluate me scrolling on Instagram for 30 minutes because I'm not getting what I need to get done. So it forces you to have a real conversation with yourself. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can empathize like with the, I know you have prospecting as part of your day. We can, we can talk about that a little bit too. Cause I remember uh, from the last call, you're saying 20% prospecting typically like in the morning and then a good 60% chunk of those revenue generating activities, like you're saying, moving deals forward, calls, demos, that sort of thing. And then another like 20% usually with the rest of the admin work. And maybe it doesn't always work out exactly in that chunk, but you like to have it in that structure. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, those are, those are pretty accurate. So, so going into the prospecting part, I can see like where that would get distracting, right? Cause prospecting is like a little bit loose. It's like, however, however you can do it, you know what I mean? However, like works best for you. Um, but I hear, uh, you know, I was just talking to Michelle, like our VP of revenue about this and like what she sees and like top performers. And even with, uh, uh prospecting, I think this might've been uh, Daniel actually too. Daniel's talking about like the best prospectors have a process like to, to their prospecting, they have like a system and, uh, and that kind of, uh, helps them not get distracted in a task that could become very distracting. Cause it's like, I'm scrolling Instagram. I'm looking for, looking for prospects. You know what I mean? I'm technically working maybe, but, uh, but is it getting you the end result that you, that you want? Is it like, is it becoming a revenue generating activity? Is it moving something forward? Um, 
or like, did you just get distracted because it's Instagram? Um, so yeah, yeah, being really honest with yourself, like seems like a, be a good plan. So, um, prospecting revenue generating activities, admin work, um, and then the prospecting is to me is like, it's on the line, right. Where it's like almost a revenue generating activity. So how do you think about that? Yeah. So I think of prospecting, I actually did a, a bonfire session yesterday with Scott Lease and Richard Harris on this of like the importance for like AEs sometimes think that they just don't have time for prospecting. And I just like call BS on that because we could all find 30 minutes to an hour twice a week to do it. Um, and I think it's revenue generating because prospects are your future customers, like black and white, a non-customer that is a prospect that's in your ICP is a potential future customer. So that is potential revenue in the company's pocket and commission in your pocket as a sales professional. So to not focus on it is almost like foolish behavior in, in my opinion. Um, and so I think the best the best reps uh, AEs are are definitely prospecting. Now, how much they're prospecting, I'm not really sure. Um, I'm happy to speak to kind of my process and and how I dial that in. But yeah, I think how I think about prospecting as a revenue generating activity, I think it is 100%. Just because it's you know if you don't have a pipeline, you're that needy sales rep who if a deal doesn't close your whole world crashes down. So a big pipeline solves for, for most uh, of reps problems, but a lot of them don't like it for some reason. Nice. Well, I'm going to try and organize uh, this episode like you organize your calendar. So we'll start with like the, the revenue generating uh, activities, like the deals already, um, already in progress, right? Like your active deals. And so how, what are you doing like to move those deals forward? What's what are some examples of activities that you're doing to move deals forward? Yeah. So there's a few different things that I think are critical, especially in a, a larger deal. Um, it's number one, you need to make sure that um, you've got like a mutual kind of action plan in place. There's got to be some success plan that you're working towards um, with the customer. And so really developing that plan, like that's a revenue generating activity is like, are you developing a plan to a mutual date that you've agreed upon? The second thing, which a lot of people talk about, but I don't think they truly understand is multi-threading. And so how do I go and find an executive at that company who we're not engaged with? That's part A of multi-threading. Part B of multi-threading is who at my company am I aligning that executive with? Once I've mapped out the executives, then I can start doing, um, it, they call it trumpet email, which is essentially you enable the person on your team to send the executive a note based on the conversations that you've been having with the hope of showing executive support. So for me, that's something that I'm doing um, in every single deal. If I don't, if I'm not talking to the executives above the line contacts in the initial call, one of my revenue generating activities is finding those contacts and then aligning them with um, our exec team. Another thing that I do is I listen to earnings calls. So I will literally go through and li listen to the earnings calls presentation, but where people forget to, uh, where people forget that the gold is, is at the end when the uh, investors are asking the questions is like, that's where the gold is. 
that's where you find a lot of the information because they're not presenting information that they want. They're getting asked the hard questions. Um, and oftentimes that's where you can find a lot of information. So I spend time there. Um, I spend time on developing like hypotheses, like for um, future calls. So if I'm talking to new contacts at an account, I want to come in with like a reason why they took the call and why this will be valuable for them rather than being like, oh, it's like, why'd you take the call today? I should come in prepared. Hey, listen to your last earnings call. I understand that XYZ is a big focus for your CEO. Like, is that something that your managers in your ear about every single day? And so doing that research up front enables me again to move that rock for myself to come in prepared on the next call, which has a big impact. Another thing that I love to do is video. And so I will um, send, you know, spend time doing like video recaps or uh, things like that. Those are just like a few uh, things that I'm focused on in terms of moving deals forward. Um, but basically I always try to think like, what is my competitor? Like what's the rep at my competitor's company not doing that I could be doing to really move this forward? Like, how can I stand out? and come with, um, like another thing to do to stand out is for us, like we sell to a, a lot of sales leaders. So I'll spend time talking to their sales team. And then that way I can come to the next meeting. Like, Hey, I met with three of your sales reps. Here's what they told me. A lot of sales leaders don't know what keeps up their, um, reps at night because, you know, sometimes they just don't have insight to it. So like, if I can come prepared to a conversation with that information, that builds trust and it kind of brings their wall down. Like, hmm, let's see what Anthony has to say because he's done the work. So I'm just trying to figure out what can I do every day to stand out? Um, and I think those are some of the things. Nice. Okay. So one thing that stood out is just multi-threading in general, right? Cause you talked about it at the executive level, like you're finding someone that's maybe um, that that manager's manager, right? That manager's boss. Uh, but then you're also talking about like true, I think multi-threading and that you also are talking to um, the ICs or the reps uh, uh, at the company as well. So you're trying to figure out if this tool is going to work for that team and like uh, that solution selling uh, that goes along with that. So like true, true multi-threading is something that um, stood out to me, uh, team selling, if you look at it that way. Um, and then also you talked about like personalized video and that making you kind of like stand out, but also probably giving more context. So uh, my follow-up question was going to be follow-ups uh, in general. So this uh, relates to prospecting uh, and, uh, and those revenue generating activities. So anything specific or different you think that you do in your follow-ups? Yeah, I think for me, what I'm doing in my um, follow-up emails um, we have our calls that are, are recorded, um, that I can listen back to, but, um, I always try to figure out instead of like recapping what our product does, it's like the three main takeaways. I think of follow-ups as like advertising. So like it's advertising for your company. Hey, these are the three takeaways. Here's how we're actually going to help. Um, and then I don't like to be assumptive and ask, like, I like to just propose that the next step is this and then say like, what did I miss? So it, you're not asking like, Hey, is this right? You're kind of just assuming it is and having them tell you no. Um, and so that's kind of how I think of my follow-ups. It's yes. Recapping the conversation, but 
always identifying the three takeaways and then hammering those three takeaways on every single call and reminding them of like why you're even talking um, in the first place. Yeah. I mean, to me, it sounds like applying active listening, right? Like you're, you are listening uh, on the call and then you've also done, I'm sure like a research beforehand of this person. And you're basically just applying that you're saying like, Hey, like I, I know your context. Like I know your situation, both because you told me, cause I did my own research and now I'm, I'm going to make sure that you don't have to do more work. Cause I've already done the work for you, you know, to say like, this is what I think, like based on X, Y, and Z, you know, let me know if that's wrong. But it's also like uh, this position of like confidence as well of just saying like, I I've done the work, like this is, this is what I propose, like, rather than like, I'm unsure. Like, can you, can you just tell me the answer? Right. So to me, it just seems like you're taking off, uh, more from their plate of, Hey, you, you do the extra work and just like thinking through what needs to happen next, uh, rather than like me kind of like as a salesperson coming in and doing my job of knowing what those next steps are and like progressing this deal forward. Um, so that's what it sounds like to me. Uh, any other thoughts on that? Yeah. I think the other thing is, you know, at the end of your calls, You've got to get these, um, Brandon Fluherity talks about them like micro agreements from, from customers. So like you need to ask a tough question that makes you feel uncomfortable at the end. That's going to move the deal forward. Hey, so usually in these evaluations, these are the people that are usually involved. Can we bring that next person on? And if they say no, you just be like, hey, like, I'm curious, like why? that's uncomfortable to push back like that, but you, you got to get to the friction. If you don't ask the questions, you can't get to the friction and the friction is what's going to help you close that deal. Selling your features isn't going to, isn't uh, going to win the deals. It's understanding how the deal is not going to happen. What are the things that they didn't even think about and helping them uncover it um, and getting them what they want. And so having those agreed upon next steps, those micro agreements, and then including that in your follow-up and getting it in writing that's huge because you can, you can revert back to it later. So not only do you understand the business goals and the implications, if they ghost you or something, you can go back to it. You've also kind of got their skin in the game of saying, Hey, yes, we can do this. We could pull these people in. Um, so that when you go reach out to those other folks, um, you can reference, uh, reference that as well. Beautiful. Uh, no, this is like turning into a, to a masterclass and selling in general. So let's just keep going, uh, up the funnel though. So let's like talk about prospecting in general, like any, uh, yeah. prospecting tips you would give to maybe a new, new BDR or someone that just hasn't quite cracked it. So many, I actually talked to Daniel about this. We we're talking uh, about, um, dialing in his target account list. And I think that's where it all starts is identifying your tier one accounts, your tier two accounts, your tier three accounts, and doing the research before you go and execute your tasks. So doing it up front, yeah, it takes a little bit of work, but once you've identified like where your best opportunities are and why your product's a good fit, then all you have to do is execute tasks. All I got to do is put people into sequence, cadence, whatever you want to call it, and then execute those tasks. So I think that's step one is you should understand um, you should understand your prospect business almost better than them and the problems that they're looking to solve because you've done this so many times with similar companies. You know what challenges that they're going to have or that they do have um, and what they may be focused on. So once you've done that, um, 
we like to create at, at outreach, like hypothesis for each company that we're reaching out to. So why would this company even want to be with us in the first place? And in your messaging now, when you call someone or you email them, you have a very specific relevant reason for your outreach. And so now it's less focused on what your company does and more on what their company does. So the two main things that you need to do first are tear out your accounts and then develop a reason why, a compelling reason why. And you can find that through job postings. You can find that through new hires that worked at a previous customer. Are they using a competitor? Um, are they, uh, if you're partner selling, are they using any partner technologies? Um, earnings calls, funding news. Um, and funding news is a pretty funny one. You don't, you don't just tell someone congrats like on your Series C. You say, hey, I noticed XYZ from your Series C and then tie it back to how you can help. Um, and so I think that's another mistake people make um, and advice I'd give in prospecting is that no one cares that you know where they went to college or that if you know that like cheese or whatever it is, like personalization, it needs to be relevant. Um, and so if you know someone likes to play hockey, um, you shouldn't just call out that like, hey, notice you like to play hockey and then go into your pitch. Make it fun and interesting and tie that into how your product can help. Um, so again, number one, identify the tier, uh, the tiering for your accounts, have a reason why. Use that reason why in your messaging to make it relevant. And then have a process of how you go and execute. So this is what I do. On Monday, I put, I focus on two accounts a week because as an account executive, I found that's like kind of my sweet spot. But if you're an SDR or BDR, you may have capacity to focus on more accounts. Um, and depending on the segment is going to depend on how many people at those accounts that you should be putting into some kind of cadence or sequence. I put five people into a sequence per account per week. I do that on Monday. It takes me 30 minutes. So it's not very labor intensive and, and time, time sucking. And then Tuesday and Thursday are when I typically like will iron out an hour and execute on those tasks. Now, some days on Wednesday and Friday, I may set up like a call blitz for myself or maybe do one with my SDR. Um, but the Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, like I know those days, it's not like, if I'm going to prospect, I just do it. It's part of my day. Um, and it's one of those things where it requires discipline. It's like going to the gym. No one feels like prospecting. No one feels like making a ton of cold calls or sending emails. But to me, again, these are our future customers. So the reward is worth it. And if you do it enough times, yeah, you're maybe not going to feel like it, but it just becomes like part of your routine. You just do it anyway, because you understand, number one, the risks of not doing it. And then number two, the rewards of doing it successfully. So to sum it up again, um, you've got to identify the accounts, the reasons why you're reaching out, your messaging, and then creating a process that you can follow that becomes a daily habit uh, for you. Nice. Nice. Um, yeah. You mentioned some like good, uh, copywriting, like one-on-one, uh, tips in there as well in terms of like relevance is like 
greater than personalization in a lot of ways, right? Like it's nice to be like personal um, in that like, hey, like we went to the same school or whatever, but that's like not gonna move your deal. That alone is not gonna like move your deal. It like might get you a, a meeting booked, but it's like not the best way to approach it. Uh, whereas if you approach it from the intersection of like the relevance of like, here's, here's what I can offer you, here's where you're at now. And you're able to like draw that line that's uh that's bigger than than good personalization right that's like uh, more compelling to people so you talked about that and then um just just doing it i think is like is the biggest thing that i took from it is uh just do it and we, you talked about this in our last call uh because it applies to the rest of your work day uh in terms of like exercising as well i think you said the same thing of like i i don't feel like getting up at at six or whenever you get up six or seven, but I do it anyways, because I need like me time and I need to do something for me and I need to feel good uh, going into the day. So then whatever else happens, however much rejection like happens throughout that day, you can still have that win. So maybe talk to that uh, point a little bit. So we didn't cover that as much here. Yeah. It's, it's all about like, like, you know, I try to fill my life with as many things that make me feel fulfilled and proud and, um, knowing that I've made time for myself. So if I get a nasty email from someone, it's like, all right, well, I, all, I already have like this, this cool life that I've built for myself. Um, I've already practiced gratitude and I recognize, you know, the progress that I've made. And so this person being rude to me, like is, isn't really a reflection of me. It's probably just, they're, they're having a bad day. So it allows me to have a little bit of empathy. And I think of that, um, same thing with, with prospecting. So, you know, there's a lot of things that aren't in our control, but our effort is one of them that that is in our control and how we prospect and show up to prospecting um, is one of them. And so it's twofold. If I'm doing stuff in, in my life, that's making me feel fulfilled and abundant. If I get a rejection while I'm prospecting, it's like onto the next. Yeah, it sucks. No one likes getting rejection, but I'm not going to let that uh, affect how I show up on the next call. Like I'll take a second, you know, let my uh, thoughts run their course. And then I'm back to that grounded version because I've done those things in my personal life that make me feel fulfilled and good and know that my self-worth isn't attached to, to that one call. Um, the second thing is if, if I've got a big pipeline and I lose a deal, it's like, okay, that's just a deal. Like I've got more that I'm working. And so if you take that mindset into it, you know, like anything else in life, if you've got a full, um, fulfilling life, if something bad happens, you can just go back and say, you know what, like, it's all good. I've got a lot of good things going on. It's going to be okay. Same with like pipeline. If I build enough pipeline and a deal doesn't go my way or lose it to a competitor, I've got three or four more deals that I'm working. So, you know, I'm going to be less attached to that deal. And if I'm less attached to that deal, it allows me to show up from a non-needy type of place. Um, and I think we talked about this last time too, but you know, people in life and when you're prospecting and you're on calls, they could feel energy. People want to work with confident people and people can tell very quickly when you got that commission breath. And if I don't have a big pipeline and this has happened to me before, and it still does, I catch myself doing it where if I don't have a lot of deals for this quarter and I've got this one big deal that all my chips are in, like 
it, you start to feel this like pit in your stomach if things don't start going your way or you get an email and then you want to start like controlling and manipulating and then you've blown all your, your trust and your chances of winning that deal. But if I had three or four deals in my back pocket, someone goes with a competitor, it's like, yeah, it sucks again, but we'll move on because we, we are focused and people want to work with us. You know, not everyone's going to work with you, but you have enough people that want to, it makes those times of rejection a lot easier uh, to swallow. Yeah. And it's, it's weird because it's different from like wanting it and like being driven, you know, and like having, having confidence and all of those things and uh, doing the things to move deals forward. But then there's like, yeah, this other thing of like being still being detached. Like you can have all those things, you can still have the same drive and like still be detached and still have it separate, like from your self-worth. And I think the analogy we gave last time was, uh, was dating, right? Uh, we yeah. talked about we talked about dating because I think everyone can relate to this of the times like in your life, like where you really want a partner, you like want a significant other and uh, you can just feel it, you know, like uh, whether you're on the other end of it or whether you're that person, like for whatever reason, like your opportunities just like dry up to, um, to relate it back to sales. Uh, but like when, uh, when you, when you, when you just don't care, you know, then you have like more confidence, you're more yourself and you're just like open and people can feel that. Like they can feel like the, the weird energy and they can feel like that, that, uh, confident energy. And it like, it drastically like just changes like the outcome. Yeah. It, it's so interesting. You say that I was like in my early twenties, the needy guy, uh, you know, and then I, I made a, you know, three years ago, made a shift in my life where I prioritized my mental health. And, um, I got that part of me, uh, solved where I like loved myself enough and I stopped looking for external things to make me happy. One of them was dating. And then all of a sudden you, you get a girlfriend without even realizing you wanted a girlfriend and, you know, all the things that you wanted, you stop looking for. And then they just like come into your life. Um, and one of those, like one of those things is like sales. The more that you want it, it affects, that affects how you type an email or open up a call or end a call and people feel that. And so if you just like kind of take a step back and you're confident that like, Hey, go do your due diligence with our competitors. Like these are the reasons why I think we could help. Like that's the only thing you can control is how you show up in that moment. And they're going to feel that. Um, so yeah, I think that the dating analogy is like such an interesting one with sales um, because people feel the, the insecurity or the neediness um, and it rubs people the wrong way. And to your point, the weird vibes, like I'm such a, like a, a weird person and, and funny. And um, I feel myself on calls sometimes not being myself and I'm so like wound tight and I noticed the prospects, like it affects the experience for them. And then on calls, like I am right now, I'm loose. I'm having fun. I don't have like this hidden agenda, like the calls go so much better. So, you know, my recommendation for people out there who feel that is, you know, it's, it's normal, but, you know, try to try to take a deep breath and, and just be yourself because prospect person you're speaking with will appreciate that way more than you trying to be so buttoned up. 
yeah I mean people can people can see through it and uh and can understand like when you're being you and when you're reading a script right at the end of the day so I think it's actually yeah. like a, a a great way to end is uh you're already talking to like the, you know those tips that you would give someone who's who's looking to to level up who maybe wants it um and maybe wants it too much and so um so what are was it what advice like would you give someone that's looking to uh both level up in their career and uh, sort of done what you've done where you are able to hit your goals but also able to like uh hit your personal goals as well yeah, hundred percent. So the, the biggest shift that I made when I went down that path of, you know, getting, getting kind of my, my personal life in order was I really started to identify the areas of my life that were kind of like unmanageable in a way that I wasn't satisfied with. And then instead of like beating myself, my beating myself up over it, I accepted it. I said, Hey, this is where I'm at. What can I do in my control to change that? And so that's the first step is like identifying those areas, accepting it. And then the second thing is like, ask for help. You know, you'd be surprised about how many people want to help you out there. So um, ask for help. There's a ton of great resources, uh, free resources out there, especially on LinkedIn to help level up your game. But if you don't identify the areas and you're kind of uh, stubborn to them and ignorant, then you'll never want to change. But if you can identify them and accept them and be okay with it, because we're all human, everyone has stuff to work on, then you could be humble enough to ask for help. And then you get the help and you start moving down a path of improving those areas of your life. And one day you wake up and you're like, okay, wow, I, I made progress. And then you could take a step back and say, wow, I've made so much progress. These little things don't really affect me anymore because look how far I've come. So I think it's like, that's the, the foundation for living and thinking in a different way is acceptance and asking for help. Um, and then using that as a function in all, all the areas of your life that you want to improve. Nice. Uh, I love it. It's perfect. Uh, so Anthony, where can people find you? So um, I actually just released a, a free newsletter. It's called Notes from Natoli. Um, so you could find that at anthonynatoli.me and it's on my LinkedIn um, in my featured page. Basically, I talk about um, all things mental health, mindset, wellness based on my personal experience. And um, of course, talk about you know sales tips and prospecting tips, all that good stuff. Nice. Okay. Well, Anthony, we'll keep talking uh, offline, of course, but um, thank you again for coming on the show and uh, talk soon. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to The Revenue Playbook. For more sales playbooks, head over to Dooley.ai.